Hello and welcome back to another episode of the FEZ Show. We have had the Puebla Ypres, the double header Puebla Ypres, and boy, have we got some talking points to go over today. Joining me, as always, over the next half an hour is Edward Hunter and Jack Pickering. Evening, boys. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, exciting weekend. A lot to get stuck into. Yeah, hello Jack, hello Pico. I had a very good holiday in Scotland where I sort of watched a race from my room in a little corner. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I had a good time, but it was sort of like you get back from meal in the evening. It's like, oh, I'm going to miss the race. I'm going to have to watch it on catch up, which is not a usual situation for me. But uh, but yeah, really, really enjoyed the races and happy to get uh, stuck into it, even though we get the usual, it seems, uh, controversy to cover, haven't we? It wouldn't be Formula E without a controversy. And let's just get into it, right? We've only got half an hour. So how this show's going to develop is effectively we're just going to talk about the main key points from the race and also some talking points because there's been some big news in the Formula E world as well. So let's just get straight into it. Pascal Verlein dominated. Fair to say, dominated Saturday, did incredibly well Sunday, but picked up two penalties, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. The Saturday one being the biggest, of them all, because obviously he crossed the line in first on Saturday. He didn't win on Sunday, but won the race technically on Sunday, but was disqualified pretty much instantaneously once he crossed the line due to a technical infraction because the tyre allocation wasn't done effectively. A misclick or a double click, something went wrong. And we'll get into that in a second. But for me, Pico, I think the first thing I want to discuss is this happens quite a lot in Formula E, really. You can go back to season one, go back to couple of season four with um lucas degrassi lucas degrassi's probably had a couple of them to be fair daniel apt as well there's always seems to be some form of infraction which is highly minuscule in terms of performance maybe not even performance enhancing and a driver who's won a race has been disqualified surely formula e and the fia have to be talking to themselves at this precise moment and going we need to change something Something needs to be changed, a procedure, a rule, it needs to be changed because, yes, Formula E has the potential to be amazing, but when we're getting new fans watching each race, and then they're seeing a driver being disqualified, and they don't really understand why this driver's been disqualified, and when they're told, they're like, really, for that? That's why he's been disqualified? I really think something needs to change. Yeah, um, this has happened far, far too much over the last um, few years. Yeah, obviously the one that came to my mind immediately was um, Daniel Apt in Hong Kong in season four, where he won his first ever Epri on his birthday, and that was taken away from him because the barcode on one of the parts was different to the one that they'd submitted or something like that. And it, this, it would kind of... Kind of, kind of similar. What they'd done is they'd submitted the files um, and they just misclicked something. Yeah, they do seriously need to look into this because the it it the 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 uproar on Twitter after the race was just massive, and uh, even even head honcho Mister Big Alejandro Gag, like he was saying after the race and. I don't want to say that I'm quoting him, but I'm pretty sure that I read somewhere that he said that he wanted to kill someone. Um, I'm don't take that for granted. If he didn't say that, he didn't say that. But, he definitely um, said it live on TV as well. Okay, he did say that. Cheers, Ed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, 
Uh, yeah, it, it, when you've got someone who has been so influential in this sport saying this should not be happening, that is when you really shouldn't have it happening in this sport. But yeah, so they need to look at this, um, especially for season. I think they need to focus on it for season eight because we've we've only got uh, three weekends left for for um for a season seven. But um. Yeah, and the fact that we are now a world championship, we need to show that we are brilliant. Unlike you know, and, and do you know what? It's it's not the first time that we've had um, things that don't go our way. Like in terms of this year, well, obviously Valencia, we had the um, everyone running out of power. But yeah, there, there are there are multiple different sides of these rules and regs that Formula E and the FIA really need to drill down on get this fixed and then season eight we can come back bigger and better and uh, the drivers will still be moany and grumpy yeah and i think coming on to that what alejandro agag said there and you're right on the outpour on twitter it was so negative for formula e like formula e are trying so hard to persuade new fans to bring in new people and then you get things like this that's still happening which has been happening from season one because i remember the technical infraction lucas degrassi got with you know they had a damaged front wing they tried to fix it so it would hold shape and be secure and wouldn't fail but because of the way the mechanics had fixed it you know, Degrassi was disqualified from that race and, and handed one of those wins to two post-race wins that Jerome D'Ambrosio got courtesy of uh, Lucas Degrassi. Um, but, Ed, you've got more details and you've been doing the research and, and finding out a bit more about exactly what happened to Pascal Verlaine. So I'll throw over to you now to sort of like explain what happened. Yeah, okay. So I think uh, the best way of looking at it is if you guys have been to college or university, you will know that whenever you hand in homework, they use a sort of online portal. I think when I went to college, it was called something called Moodle. I don't think Formula uses the same thing, but it's similar in concept. It's an online portal. All the teams use it, and they the, they submit the tyres that they're using. Now, if you remember back in Valencia earlier this season, they because they're worried about tyre wear, they increased uh, initially increased the number of tyres allocated to each team. I think they gave everyone an extra set basically and they did the same thing at Puebla and do you remember qualifying in in, in uh, Valencia for the first race Stov van Dorn lost pole position was disqualified from qualifying set to the back of the grid because someone at Mercedes doing the admin when they're entering the number in the technical passport they put an extra digit in and so it didn't match up obviously with the actual tyre so he got sent to the back of the grid and eventually of course he finished third through other shenanigans that happened that day uh, but we don't get. We're not here to talk about that again. Uh, but um, but uh, what happened in Puebla to um, Verline, Lotter, and to the two Nissan Edams drivers, I believe, is especially from well, at least from Porsche's end for both their drivers. What happened was uh, they were submitting the details for the tires they used in qualifying, and clearly they just double entered it for qualifying. They didn't end submit any of the tires they were using for the race. So clearly there was a, a misclick or some sort of miscommunication where they thought they'd sent in for the race but actually they hadn't and that was why it only got sort of plugged uh the, the first they knew about it was when scott elkins race direction the fia sort of realized hang on they've not submitted anything and neither have nissan i assume but we don't know exactly what nissan have happened but the odd thing to me is that porsche are protesting it uh, which to me feels like this appeal that they're doing is kind of a waste of of time because they've admitted they made the administrative error what they're sort of appealing is oh the penalty being disqualified is too harsh but because 
Daniel Apt and Lucas Degrassi on two occasions disqualified for what the Apt one I think is the most similar because it was again a technical passport mix-up basically where the digits on the motor and the inverter didn't match up with technical passport I'm being very technical here I'm sorry uh, but, um, to me because they disqualified Daniel Apt in Hong Kong the sort of thing oh well you meant to do this thing but you didn't do it so we'll let you off feels like well Audi meant to put the right number on their thing too and they got disqualified Van Dorn whoever's thing I'm in there meant to put the right number on there too so I feel like they've put therefore boxed themselves in a corner because if if the punishment for getting the number on the passport wrong is disqualification then that's got to be universal right they can't just make an exception for Pascal just because everyone likes Pascal and I like him too he's a very charismatic popular driver who we always love seeing do well and he did extremely well across the whole weekend in Mexico and he's trying to take you know see the positives of that but obviously it's not the same when you don't get the points coming your way but anyway that that's I didn't do a great job explaining it, but that's no, the simplest way I can put it. Really, you did but. fine. You did fine. You did fine. But it was interesting because I remember speaking to um, some team PR people um, when these like penalties, like for like Daniel Apt happened and so forth, and we were just I remember discussing it in the paddock a couple of seasons ago, and they were like, "Well, those penalties are fair because they broke the rules, and technically they have broken the rules because they didn't submit this thing, and every other team have had to do it." And if everybody other team have done it, therefore they've broken the rules, therefore they deserve it. And I remember discussing it at that time. I was like, but as a product, we don't want, you know, to see people being disqualified or see race winners being disqualified for something trivial. So that's why I'm surprised that we've got to the stage where Formula E is now world championship and we haven't actually, you know, decided or come to an agreement of how we can prevent these things from happening. Because it's... And yet you have to also remember that it's a one-day event. So, so much is going on. It's not like Formula 1. That's why people say, why does this not happen in Formula 1? Like, you know, you don't see Lewis Hamilton getting disqualified, you know, after a race or Max Verstappen or, you know, Lando Norris getting P3 and he's disqualified because they've made an error. It's because there's more time to make sure that it's all done and submitted properly. Whereas in one day, there's a rush and, you know, things are done late, early nights, late nights and, and the mistakes can happen. So therefore, I'm surprised Formula E haven't put in something to say or a system to say, right, if this has happened or if you've made a mistake, you know, you, there's a way to check it or to, you know, just something like even like a tire set numbers, like that's not a tire set number that the FIA have given you. Therefore, you must have made a mistake. Right. So like just something f for the teams to go, you know what? OK, oh, I've made an error. Let's fix it before anything else happens. I'm surprised something like that hasn't happened but pascal unfortunately got two penalties in this race and the second one i'm not the biggest fan of um because he used fan boost now the penalty was that it was an irregular use or an improper use of fan boost now pascal Verlon used fan boost on the final lap of the race but because the battery couldn't give the output of the 250 kilowatts or between the 240 and 250 kilowatts that is allowed he was given a five second time penalty because he used fan boost but he didn't get the power outage that he should have got effectively which i don't i don't i'm not a big fan of because you there's no penalty for not using fan boost so at least we've got an initiative pico where we've got something where the fans can have and can give a driver an extra power boost and, you know, the driver then uses it, but he gets penalised for using it. 
Whereas other drivers who received the vote get it, don't use it, no penalty whatsoever. Now, there is a reason for this, and it's been widely debated for over the last couple of of years, is that you couldn't use the bat, you couldn't use fan boots after 50% battery re- use of rare, whatever the word is, I've forgotten. Usable remaining energy after 50% because it would kill the energy and it would kill the battery. Um, so that's why they wanted drivers to put it in a certain way. And that's why, because Pascal's used it too late that he hasn't got it and he's got that five second penalty. But by the by, right, with that explanation there, maybe we're all struggling slightly on explanations today. I still don't think that is worth a penalty. If he's used fan boost and it hasn't worked, at least he's used it and he hasn't got the benefits from it. That's his problem. That can't be worth a five second penalty. Yeah, answer on a postcard, please, everyone. Uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 disappointing. I think. Then and, and this is the thing with the rulings in Formula E. You do get these uh, really kind of like unfair, not really deserved penalties, um, which is which is quite annoying. Um, as far as I'm aware, the rule with fan boost is that you can use up to. 50 kilowatts more power for five seconds. So to me, that means anywhere between zero and 50. So if they implement that, surely as long as he uses somewhere in between there, that should be fine. So for me, definitely the penalty is not, not worth, not the penalty doesn't fit the crime. And so yeah, I think yeah, this and, and it goes back to Formula E need to and the FIA they need to crack down on these on these rules and little loopholes. Spend um spend between um the checkered flag in Berlin uh until um FP one in Saudi Arabia you know, probably des- December this year, I think it's or January. Um it, it might even be into the next year. We're not sure. Calendar comes out in a few weeks' time, so we'll be able to, so we'll we'll be able to know soon. But um, but yeah, it yeah they need to look at these rules and properly analyze and make sure that there isn't anything. Because I mean, as as you said, Jack, we we want to get new fans watching, and they'll watch it. And they watched on Saturday night, Pascal Verline dominate. In Puebla, uh, for him, about five seconds after the the uh, he crossed the finish line, for him to go for for his time for his timing thing on the timing tower to drop from first to twenty fourth, and Jack's having to tell everyone uh, he's been disqualified actually. So yeah, it's um yeah it's it it is irritating. What do you think, Ed? You know, penalties for fan boost. I think this is something, if we're going to go with fan boost and if we're going to keep it, we should be encouraging it and encouraging drivers to use it and maybe trying to maybe implement penalties for not using fan boost, maybe. Yeah, I think it was weird because the disqualification, I felt it obviously, you know, someone in the admin team misclicking and not submitting the right numbers for the tyres for the right session doesn't affect Pascal in terms of performance because it's not like he's got magic tires all of a sudden. But, uh, but you know, as the letter of law, it's draconian. You've got to penalize. Whereas the fan boost thing, what Pascal did was he was told, obviously, very late to use it. And because he didn't really have the necessary power to really use it uh, and sort of get to the end of the race, essentially, he decided to go into a SOC, state of charge, 
So he was using fan boost, but not at 250 kilowatts. I think it was like 160 or something quite low, basically, just to make sure that he wasn't using energy at an excessive rate. But I think the law is if you go into fan boost, you have to use it at 250 kilowatts. It didn't used to be that way. There used to be a sort of thing where, oh, they would say, oh, sometimes drivers can use fan boost strategically as sort of use it over a longer period but at a lower charge and they, they don't do that anymore it's the just that no you have to use it 250 and if you don't then this is what happens unfortunately which it is a bit it's a bit silly and i, I have a bit more issue more sympathy with the team and pascal actually on on this one because they were sort of damned if they did and kind of uh and damned if they didn't really because uh, they've got this uh, such a weird outline the rules where they're, they're sort of encouraged to use fan boost but if they don't use it in exactly the right way then they're they're kind of penalized and and, to, and the fact is with the vote changing so late you know um you only really realize you've got fan boost so late in the race that how do you plan that into your, your race strategy if you're like van dorn or the costa you can of course do that but if you're verline then it's kind of 50 50 whether you're going to get it or not and 22 minutes into the race when the vote gets announced and there's so much about fan boost that i feel does so much more harm than good for the sport in terms of its image and i think this is another classic example of that in fact to be honest with the five second penalty it really you would normally expect this kind of violation to get like a drive for us which would have been like 40 seconds in puebla so to only get off for five seconds get away with fourth i think pascal actually kind of got pretty lucky there maybe they were being lenient because of the fallout from yesterday but if we disqualify him again then we'll get a Twitter pile on honors again, although Twitter pile on shouldn't really be influencing the stewards' decisions, in my opinion. If it looks bad for the sport, you know, well, that can't really be helped, but the rules are the rules. And if you're a world championship, I would argue the rules are more important, not less important, in my opinion. But uh, but yeah, still, it's silly. It didn't look great. And uh, in the end, it's a, everyone feels a bit sorry for Pascal, I think. And uh, why shouldn't they? For me, it just encourages teams not to use fan boost. And then what's the point of fan boost? But that, you know, we've had 18 minutes pretty much on Pascal Verline. So let's move on to qualifying. Because I think this was another story of the day. Another story, you know, and we're going back to Saturday when, you know, they're all racing effectively for the outlap to cross the line. They cross the line of two seconds and Robin Freinzer locks up into turn one completely butchers everybody's laps and then we're all starting at the back and we think well what on earth are we watching here and I'm just thinking Pico from we've had this qualifying system now and it's been praised I remember you know season five you know I had my doubts about it and then I, I see the good side of it and you can see how it mixes up the grid and how it creates an entertaining race but now that we've had it for like three seasons I feel like time is it's enough on it and we've got to come up with a new system that actually makes it feel like qualifying because I just feel like the championship is being determined way too much on qualifying because group one is at such a disadvantage that is creating this tight championships with the like no offense to Eduardo Mortara but really and truly Aventuri should not be leading this championship at this stage of the season but here we are and he is and that's mainly down to the qualifying system and maybe a bit of luck with penalties here and there but those drivers like Antonio Felix da Costa, Jean-Eric Verne, Stoffel van Dorn, Nick de Vries, who have been brilliant at the start of the year, who've got the car to do it, are just being penalised far too much. So for me, I think it needs to change. Pico, what do you think? It definitely needs at least a revamp. Um, I think now we've moved into these four-minute qualifying sessions instead of the original six. Um... I feel like there is now more time. Uh, I, I feel like we're getting Super Pole. 
I think the Super Bowl session starts at 25 to 1 local time now because the final sessions at like finishes at half, like finishes like just before half past. It's uh, it's so early now. So one thing that I'd probably propose is instead of having four qualifying groups of six cars, have six qualify have six qualifying groups of four cars and then if that still doesn't work have a kind of like adaptation of the MotoGP qualifying format where they base it on practice time. So if you're in the top 10, you get to go through into Q2. And then if you're in, um, uh, and then if you're in Q1, the top two go through. If we can adapt that to Formula E, maybe to have like three qualifying sessions to make up for the 24 cars or something like that, which would still reduce and then just have them have like it's still have it as like a mini practice session but if you still want them to have like one lap at what 250 sure if they if if they want one lap at 250 sure but um yeah uh, I, it, I it needs a bit of I adapting I discussed that qualifying system with Sam Bird I, I remember having this conversation about the MotoGP qualifying system with him and he said it wouldn't work because the traffic that you get in fp2 for example in in practice and setting and not everyone gets a clean 250 laps so it would be unfair to you know penalize people who got blocked or red flag or couldn't get their 250 kilowatt lap in in practice to then do a moto gp style qualifying system so uh, it's an interesting idea i kind of like the idea of it pico but i've as i said i've spoken to spoken to bird about it and you know, I and dead drivers and they're the ones that are going to sort of, and I reckon that will probably be shared across the majority of the drivers, that view. Um, but, Ed, for me, I still think if you're a new fan and you come to qualifying and you think, wow, if you saw that qualifying session between Fryens locking up and all that madness, you think, wow, what a qualifying system. But is it fit for purpose? Is it a qualifying session? Well, yeah, because they all set times and it decides a grid order. But uh, in terms of what you're getting at, I think, is, is this is spectacle over sport, right? Where we set up this really entertaining grid for the race and all the group one runners, they're not necessarily, you know, doomed, but it does make their job rather more difficult. Uh, for instance, I think Nick DeVries actually had a really good good performance across the whole weekend because in the first race, Fryens took him out. Uh, well dive bombed and uh, got it wrong locked on the brakes and spun DeVries around and then DeVries I think had to pit for a, 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 a puncture I might have been the second race I'm getting mixed up but DeVries basically recovered up to ninth I thought did a really good drive wasn't too far behind Van Dorn in the end his teammate and then in the Sunday race Degrassi basically just went into the rear of him and took him out which is the sort of thing that can happen when you qualify badly because you're on a, the green track and uh, being held up by the other group one runners and you've got Lucas Degrassi behind you who's decided that he's going to smash into people rather than win races. <laughs> but um, he was a bit of a wrecking ball on Sunday, unfortunately. But uh, Which is a shame because he did really well on Saturday. But uh, I I think in terms of spectacle, it does deliver in the race. It doesn't make it impossible for the group one runners to come through. We have seen on occasion the cream rise to the top, which I think is the idea of the system. But it does stack the odds against them. It leads to this really competitive kind of order. We worried in the end that it's sort of a, Sam Bird was talking about this in Puebla. He said, well, at least I, I got crashed out 
and we can maybe talk about the attack mode rejoin briefly, but uh, you got that crashed up on the Mahindras, and he said, well, at least I'll be in Group 2 tomorrow, so I might get a better qualifying. And in the end, he qualified 15th anyway, so it didn't make a huge difference for Sam Bird. But, uh, so I don't think being in a higher group necessarily guarantees you'll get into Super Pole. Uh, but I agree that maybe uh, things could be fair on the group one runners. But the problem with Formula E is, it's really, it, especially if you've got a group system, it's going to be really, really difficult to get it fair for everyone. Unless you have, like you say, a big session where everyone running on track at the same time. But then you've got tons of other problems with the tracks being overcrowded, especially street tracks, possibilities of red flags, like we've seen in Formula One qualifying sessions recently in Monaco and Azerbaijan this year. So yeah, it's, it's a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a difficult situation and I don't think I have the answer in my hands at the moment but um, if I did I would share it with you but uh, but yeah I, uh, I I see where you're coming from Jack I, I enjoy the spectacle for what it is uh, I, I would love to see it a bit more fair but uh, unfortunately it is what it is and I think the drivers just got to get on with it yeah I just think as a spectacle though it's just becoming a tad little old and, and also frustrating to watch you know everyone leaving at the same second everyone crossing the line with one second to go and everyone fighting tooth and nail on a qualifying lap i don't want to see that on a qualifying lap i want to see that in the race which we do see in the race i want to see the best drivers go up against each other to set the fastest lap possible and i just don't think formula e qualifying does that well what you're describing sounds a lot like super pole but the problem is like you say it's getting into super Bowl, which is the bit that's a little unfair for me i wouldn't mind a system where it's f1 2005 where they go out one by one and 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 that's how the grid's formed because at least then you know that leader championship goes out first there's no there's no this you know and at least then everyone does the lap no one's sort of impacted with traffic or or people locking up right in front of them because they're 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 one tenth in front of them crossing the line pico yeah uh, uh, one thing that i was going to point out was that um in uh, moto e um the the electric version of MotoGP. um they do have e-pole which is um which is what they have and they go out one and they do go out one after another but it's it's based on reverse practice time so if you are uh, i believe there's 18 in in moto e so if you are 18th you will go out first and then it goes all the way up to first place um and yeah it is it, it is a bit like a super pole but at the same time watching it it doesn't have it doesn't have that same kind of like thrill that other qualifying systems do. And so I do think, yeah, as, as, as we've alluded to, something does need to change, but um, it's hard to put a finger on it. Formula E are caught between, or is it a hard and a rock place? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, that's it. Rock and a hard place. You had rock it the other way around. Yeah. No, this episode's hurting totally... my head. It's like the extreme yeah. E format. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It's very much. Um, so, where are we from here? And you mentioned Lucas Degrassi there, and I think we should mention him very briefly, like winning the race on Saturday, obviously taking advantage of it. You know, he's something he's been on the receiving end of disqualifications, getting himself, but he's also taken advantage of some. But and their driver who's looking for a seat, you know, he's doing amazingly uh, and winning races, and he's super consistent. Yes, the Sunday race probably wasn't his finest, but overall, Lucas Degrassi this season has been Lucas Degrassi gets that car into the points from a bad starting position and and is doing a great job but Eduardo Mortara now leads this championship and it's incredibly tight now with this qualifying system I obviously I'm moving away from it slightly but I feel like this is crunch time right and you've got someone like a Stoffel Van Dorn right now who's in group two in qualifying and who can 
elevate him up. He's got that, you know, they've done their laps. This is his time to go up there, get back into the top five potentially, and then go and win a race and put himself back into championship into the championship frame. When we saw, we didn't really see the six races in Berlin, Pico, like someone who sort of came from the midfield close to the championship because the Costa, the Costa already had a decent gap at that stage. But with the championship as tight as it is, when are you expecting this championship to be won? Like, are we going to see someone come out who we haven't expected, who's in these group two, group three qualifiers, who's going to make a surge, who could easily make a surge in New York and London to put himself in a position in Berlin when they can win the title? Or do you think those people who have still been in group one all this time, the Van Dorns, the Defries of this world, the DeCostas, they're still going to come out on top and win this championship. The first ever Formula E world champion will go into Saturday qualifying in Berlin in Group 2. That is, I'm, I'm saying that now, that is... My, that's my bold prediction. I'm not even. Go- I'm not even going to watch it. I'm away camping that weekend. But um, yeah. This is this qualifying system. Yeah, it it, it heavily influences it. And I think yes, Eduardo Mortara ha- at the moment has the biggest lead that anyone has had over the course of the entire season so far. I think. Um, but um, I I I can't. I he will be. In Group 1 for the entirety of the New York weekend. I reckon he will be in Group 1 for the entirety of the London weekend as well. Um, there's a small chance he could be in Group 2 going into Berlin. But at the same time, he could easily be in Group 1. I c- I'm not sure. I'm genuinely not sure. This is the tightest championship that we've had yet. And yeah, it is quite dependent on qualifying. But... And that's probably why it needs to change. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. It's great that Edo, because he is, he, he is a bit of an underdog. He, he, he's, he's someone who's always there, but never right there. He, he's, he's someone who, one thing that I always noticed in his first couple of seasons in Formula E, he turned up for Hong Kong, and then the rest of them he'd kind of pitter-patter around like the lower end, lower end of the points. And that was and that was more or less what he'd do. Obviously, he was taken out. Well, he spun out of his. Um, I want to say that that was a double header in that uh, that year in Hong Kong, and that was the Sunday race that he spun out of. And Daniel Apt took the win, as we've alluded to. <laughs> in the end, he didn't. Um, but yeah, um, it's great to see him up there. But. Now he's so far ahead in the champ, and I'm he's, I'm saying so far ahead in the championship. He is ten points ahead in this championship, but for this season, that is so far ahead, and I don't see a way that uh, Edo will be in that title fight on. I want to say Sunday the fifteenth of August. Yes, it is because my birthday my birthday's the week after. I can work it out from there. Yeah, I think honestly. If you're in Group 1 and you're a Venturi at this precise moment, Venturi have got a solid powertrain. Like, I said earlier that they probably shouldn't be up there. And I, I stand by that because I feel the Mercedes should be up there. I feel the Tech Cheetahs should be up there. Even possibly the Nissans with Oliver Rowland, for example, and Jaguar possibly as well with um, Bird and Evans because they had a great start to the season. Venturi have been very consistent. And consistency, I've always said, is key in this championship with the qualifying group. So I can't really slate Venturi too much. 
But I do feel now that he's in Group 1, this will be the end of his title challenge. I feel I feel like it'll be very difficult for Eduardo Mortara now to push into Super Bowl, push into those top 10s, um, going into the remaining six races of the championship. And I think someone like a Van Dorn or a Bird who slips into that Group 2 scenario um, jumps up and, and, and can get a good result because there's only one good result. You know, Mortara just doesn't need to score. To be fair, though, you're right that he could still be in Group 1, but Mortara could not be leading the championship come the end of Saturday's race in New York, you know, just if he qualifies in Group 1 and he's out. So, really interesting. But I'm going to move on quickly because there has been some really interesting news which we're going to end on, and that's Oliver Rowland. Now, the race has reported that Oliver Rowland is set to leave Nissan Ed and move to Mahindra. Now, that shocked me personally. Because I'm like, okay, Oliver Rowland. And I was we were talking about this actually as a collective group on the weekend that Oliver Rowland's one of those drivers that he's so good, right? And he is probably a little bit under, you know, uh, under not under, I don't think underrated is the wrong word, but underprivileged. Um, like he's not really... He's not really taken into account. Like He doesn't get the plaudits he always Yeah, exactly. He doesn't get what he deserves sometimes. And he's always there. He's been there season five. He's been there in Nissan. Ever since he's come in, he's been brilliant. And I'm thinking, okay. So when I heard that he was leaving, I was like, okay, this has got to be for a big team. And you're looking around the around the paddock and you're thinking, who, where, where could a seat be available? And then my first inkling came to Porsche because Andre Lotterer, as I said, mad respect for Andre Lotterer, but he hasn't had the greatest of seasons. He is age-wise getting on. He might be thinking about doing other things. Um, not, you know, and his performance this year hasn't been the Andre Lotterer that we got to know very well in that Tech Cheetah draw, in that Chick Cheetah role, and even last year in in Porsche, he was getting an old po- uh, old podium here and there, and it hasn't really happened this season. So I was thinking, okay. That could be a good move for Roland. Verline, Roland, great partnership, right? That's a really strong driver pairing going forward for Porsche and building on what they've done so far. But for me, Mahindra, again, confusing because Alexander Sims and Alex Lynn, to be fair to them, both new to this season for Mahindra and both doing a great job. Like Sims, who struggled a little bit in BMW, has had moments where he's been absolutely brilliant and has been better than Lynn. Um, over the course of the season and we all know how much Lynn is loved in Formula E so I feel like Mahindra had something good there something that they could work on a two decent driver lineup there but obviously adding Roland's brilliant but I feel like that's quite harsh on either Sims or Lynn we don't know who's losing their seat potentially if this story is true that's something else that we need to consider that this story may not be true or it might not be as confirmed as the race seemed to be um, calling it but for me, I don't know if that's the right move for Roland. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting scenario for sure. And what uh, this, of course, could be just Sam Smith from the race pulling our leg as he. Uh, well, I don't think it's uh, intentional or anything. It seems like if that's the rumours he's hearing, and that's what they report, so uh, there may be some truth to it. You know, Sam Smith tends to be pretty accurate, but. Uh, why would Roland leave Nissan? I think that's the big question. Uh, he was brought in to replace Alex Albon as a sort of, I think a lot of us assumed he would be sort of a stopgap, uh, a sort of temporary solution. And then he delivered. He was getting pole positions, podiums in season five. He won a race at the very end of season six, the penultimate round in Berlin. 
and uh, was extremely impressive and has continued being impressive. We all saw that when he got pole position uh, last time out in Puebla. Uh, but the thing we've been hearing is that Buemi, who's had a pretty abysmal season, results-wise at least, uh, only flashes of pace here and there, whereas Roland has been the one getting the points in. Uh, is on a, a much more financially attractive deal than Oliver Rowland. That's what we know for sure, definitely. And it, and uh, Bromi is signed for next season, I believe, with Nissan Edams, whereas Rowland was not. So I think Nissan Edams wanted to keep Rowland, but for whatever reason, negotiations fell through. So then it becomes a question of why does Rowland go to Mahindra? Uh, he drove for Mahindra before. Uh, to fill in when Nick Heifel sprained his wrist in uh, Pujadraya many seasons ago when driving for Mahindra back in uh, season two I think uh, very early in that season Oliver Rowan was put in and it was the middle of his I think it was just before he started driving in what was then GP2 and is now Formula 2 he was focused on that with dams funnily enough and basically he filled in uh, sort of was running at the back and sort of just getting some experience in but, uh, but he definitely got to know some of the Dilbag Gill at least and the leadership at Mahindra they, they clearly liked him and now he's become a free agent again Dilbag uh, obviously he's not he's only just lost uh, Pascal Verlein let's not forget so he wants a new star signing Sims was certainly a star signing because he was a race winner and Alex Lynn was sort of put in we were sort of wondering whether Lynn would get the seat or not and in the end he did because he performed pretty well in Berlin so like you say it becomes a question of if this is true uh, which Alex gets to drop then? Uh, a lot of people are just saying, well, of course, they're going to lose Alex, aren't they? And so, which Alex, though? <laughs> they don't specify. Uh, but um, it would seem, I think, with Sims being the star signing, he's got the podium in Rome. I thought he's, he's had some very impressive performance and some bad luck, which has meant he's not quite... He, him and Lynn, I think, are quite similar in points at the moment, but Sims is like about three or four ahead, I think, over the course of the season so far, and would be maybe slightly further ahead if he hadn't got... Uh, taken out in a few rounds and had some misfortune but uh i wouldn't be surprised if lynn gets the drop again which is a shame because i do really like alex and i think like you say he's doing a great job got the podium in the second race at valencia but uh, roland is clearly turning into a bit of a star in formula e and uh, perhaps what he's being paid at Nis uh, mahindra sorry and it's a team on the let's not forget mahindra have got zf doing the powertrain big german company uh um and they've got a big facility in the UK. I think they're investing a lot in that facility. So definitely there's been an offer that's been made to Rome that's attractive. And I think that would be why. So it's not as behind Nissan as you might expect. And they're certainly ahead of Nissan in the points at the moment due to Boemi not pulling his weight, so to speak, or having a bit of misfortune, wherever you want to put it. But yeah, so, so I think that's why Rome has gone for Mahindra. I think it's actually a pretty good move and it may well pay out. Uh, Pico, just a couple of words. Your views on on Roland to Mahindra? Yeah, obviously, obviously it's a bit of a surprise um, because he seems to be the like the number one at Nissan at the moment in terms of performances. Um, but yeah, I I think um, I think he'll have more perks, so to say, at um, Mahindra than he would at Nissan. But honestly, I I, I was I was watching last weekend and I was going to come on here and go, Buemi's not even going to Buemi's gonna not gonna race next year uh, in Nissan Edams. I don't see it happening. He's 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 just had such a lackluster season um, that um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Edams have a brand new lineup next year. But that's something to talk about for another day. It's interesting to see how Sebastian Boy. I mean, maybe that's another show that we could do. You know, 
especially towards the off seasons, like what has happened to Sebastian Bomi? Because you can't remember he dominated. He could have easily been triple champion um, in the first three seasons, and he, now he, it's just completely fallen away from him. But runner up in season five too, as well. Yeah, exactly. So like he's had spurts, but like it's just season six and season seven. It's just it's just not gone his way. Boys, we are rapidly running out of time. I just want to mention as well, just for the show, obviously, Eduardo Mortara, yes, he's leaving the championship, did do incredibly well as well in that Sunday race to win it. Um, I think that's also important to mention. I know we're sort of like saying, okay, like we don't expect him, to, even though he's leading the championship by 10 points, we're not expecting him to be in the title fight. Come, he might still be there, but I, I still don't believe and people might think that's a bit harsh considering how well he did on Sunday. But I just think the Venturi hasn't shown enough over the course of the season um to say that they could be champion potentially um but as i said that's no disregard or on eduardo motara's quality we all know how what an amazing driver he is and and what he was doing in the venturi before it had the mercedes powertrain yeah. um because he was always doing bits let's but not forget we... by the way just very quickly motara you was we were talking about his consistency earlier he has had four non-scores this season usually in formula if you get one or two non-scores that's it you're out of the title fight because it's such a short season compared to many other championships. But he's had four non-scores. Freins, I think, has had five non-scores. So it's really been... Either he finishes on the podium or he doesn't finish in the points, uh, Mortara. So not quite... Uh, consistency is hard to come by this season. Yeah, and it just shows how important a race win this season is. A race win just completely turns the record book upside down. And that's the interesting thing going into these final six races because the way it's stacked at the moment, it's anyone's championship come on Oliver Turvey come on Neo because you know get that car going who knows two wins you'll be there you'll be there but anyway boys thank you so much um, for for coming on today really enjoyed it I mean you said like you said at the start of the scene Jackie would be nowhere so uh, I'm looking forward to that prediction coming true Jack cheers for the show yeah, and before I sign off, I just want to say well done to Nick Cassidy getting that first podium for Virgin. I, he was incredible to watch on the Sunday race, and uh, I can't wait to see what he can do in the future. I suppose these shows, to wrap up Formula E and talk about all the talking points, you need about six hours. We need we need like a six-hour show, which is just, there's just so much to talk about. But yeah, Nick Cassidy obviously doing amazingly. Thank you so much um, for watching uh, the FEZ show. If you are enjoying the content, please hit the like and subscribe buttons on your various platforms that you can listen to this amazing show on. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>